Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thanks for joining us for MotorWeek podcast number 93, and thank you, Alec Webb. I am John Davis, and around our table in Studio C today is producer, writer, and two-wheel and reporter Brian Robinson. What's up, John? Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Mahalo. And our writer, Patrick Lucas. hey Okay, we will have our lightning round and a viewer question, but first we're going to focus on the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. It was quite an opening show for the U.S. for the 2014 year, and as most people probably know, there were about 6,000 journalists from around the world there, so it was darn tough to see anything when they first unveiled it, but all the eyes did start off on the new Ford F-150. That was probably the biggest news of the show, an all-aluminum body. But there was a great deal of news and uh, made from all all manufacturers from all over the world. So we're going to go around our table. Who wants to be first? I'll be first. All right, Ben, (laughs) what hit you at the auto show? I was really impressed with the Toyota FT concept that they had. Yeah, that was awesome. And I I had read that that it was uh, derived from a lot of uh, Celica and Supra kind of uh, reminiscent of Celica and Supra. But I wish it was, I mean, it is over the top, and it may be a little too much. I wish it was more of a throwback to older Celicas and Supras, much like Nissan's IDX that launched in the L.A. show is much like that's a throwback to 510s mm-hmm. and, and cars of that generation. I wish the FT was a, a little more of a because it, it really, if you turn it on its profile, we all thought, well, gee, you know, it, it looks like a, 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 the Scion FRS. I mean, it really has <laughs> that look to it, except they just exaggerated everything. But, you know, you picked, you picked the styling leader at the show. It was, it was awesome. Way to go, man. I knew you could do mm-hmm. it. Hey, thanks, all right, next, Pat. Um, well, this is similar. The, uh, the Kia GT4, the Stinger. Um, I thought that was uh, pretty hot looking as well. That I mean, that might be second place in terms of style. What? Do you, what? That this is a this is a sports car concept, yeah. rear drive, which may well get built. And you know, what was the styling aspect of it that really got you the most? Because it was unusual looking. It's definitely unusual looking. I just liked that it was that you know that like real swept kind of coupe really exaggerated everything lights wheels um, i love the way they had basically the wheel arches sticking up above the fender yeah I it was, that was it's really pretty cool. bizarre looking but i mean they're talking about the power of a uh, turbo four 315 mm-hmm. horsepower and i think this is kia seems to be doing this thing where they're trying to go upscale and i think this is more in their wheelhouse is like a semi more affordable sporty you know i agree i think everybody everybody thought this is the direction this company needs to go with a halo car forget things like the k900 you know stick to something that really's got some excitement exactly brian yeah i'm all about the american muscle so it was all about the z06 for me glad to finally see that it's always kind of flirted as being like that c6r c7r race car but now it full-on looks like it and uh it does can't wait to oh, drive it. i mean you when they had them side by side by side they said they developed both of them at the same time and you could tell by looking at them that basically the styling cues from the race car pretty much all made it to uh the z06 but uh, it, it's a real boy racer looking but you know 625 plus horsepower it was a stunner 
I'm not sure the the yellow color that they the yellow color that they showed it off in would be my choice. But wow, what a car! Well, that's their racing color, so that's what they. There there was plenty of other hardware there. Uh, Some of it, of course, less dramatic than what we've been talking about here. There's a new Genesis sedan, which borrowed that train look from the HCD 14 concept from last year. But everybody was pretty hepped up that here was a really respectable rear drive car. Uh, and, uh, you know, second generation of the Genesis, they didn't do too much with the engines. They made it a little bit more uh, nicer inside. But uh, a lot of the journalists were very enthused about that car. Yeah, we kind of glossed over the F-150 there. Uh, we did. <laughs> what, yeah. what was your take on the whole aluminum uh, body thing? Well, let me ask you guys. I'll just say one thing. I think it, it, it fascinated me that the rumors of the F-150 going to an all-aluminum body, which had been circulating for three years, turned out to be true. And it makes you wonder, did they plant that at the beginning to make sure everybody wasn't stunned because uh, it it was it's a good-looking truck. It's very evolutionary in styling, but it looks more like a billet piece of aluminum, uh, you know, like they carved this truck out of billet aluminum than, uh, than uh, putting together sheet metal. The um, There's a lot of uh, questions about whether some owners will be able to accept it, but the aluminum they're using, uh, they claim, is the same type of military grade that's used on the Humvees that the military has. They claim it's uh, not nearly uh, – it's it's harder to dent. Uh, I wonder about overall repair costs and insurance. I also think Ford's uh, probably not going to make as much money off the trucks because they're going to have to price it competitive to, to other trucks. At least that's the theory. So it's a good-looking truck. It's a bold move, and it's probably one that everybody else is going to have to do eventually. What do you guys think? I think it looks great. And, yeah, like you said, it's, I wasn't quite expecting it to actually come true. And it's a, it's a bold move they're going with it, and uh, I think it's a cool idea. Patrick, any comment? Um, I mean, I read somewhere that they did like 10 million test miles on it or yeah. something like that, which, I mean— They ran it through the Baja 1000. Yeah, exactly. So they've been doing this, obviously, for at least a couple of years. Here's, so. here's the thing. They owned Land Rover when Land Rover yeah, was getting that. to do all that. the Range Rovers in all aluminum. Uh, so they actually probably have got quite a bit of knowledge uh, about doing an aluminum vehicle. Yeah. So I don't think there'll be any issue with reliability or you know maintenance stuff. Like that. I mean, yeah, I think body shops around the country are going to be scratching their heads about how much they have to change their procedures. Ben, you're a real truck guy. What's your <laughs> attitude about it? Any advantage you can get in full size market these days, you got to take it and and work it. So. Yeah, I think between, it's awesome. Yeah, between that and then the smaller EcoBoost V6 they got coming yep. out. That 2.7, that's going to be a nice engine. What, uh, did they say anything about what they expect the fuel economy? No, they, they didn't. I'm sure they're aiming for some for high 20s and maybe even 30. They're, they're, the big unknown is, uh, a lot of the specs are unknown, is whether they're going to take that up to 700 pound of weight saving, which we think is their uh, crew cab short uh, bed model, and add that to payload, which would give them, you know, even distance them from everybody else even on that score. I did hear a story, and I don't know if it's true, that Ford made a couple of all-aluminum cargo boxes a couple of years ago, or maybe a few years ago, and put them on a regular F-150 and watched the owners using them over a long period of time and then got them back and learned a lot about what to do and not to do from that. Uh, the truck's also got some other cool features. It's got the first use of a truck of a 360-degree camera. Uh, for parking and so forth. So there's there's technology there besides just in the body. 
And, of course, the frame, if you were wondering, is still steel, but it's uh, super high-strength steel now, so it lost weight. The, the only panel, they said, in the body that's not aluminum, that's major, is the firewall. They stayed with uh, their quiet steel because the aluminum didn't offer as much sound deadening. So. And what's your take on the Chrysler 200? Is that going to be uh, everything they're hoping it will be? Anybody else? Or just that? another disappointing 200? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> it's a pretty car. They need a real player. I think everybody is looks at it and says, you know, very handsome car. Of course, it's, you know, it's underwhelming as far as it's, it's not a standout styling. But then most cars in that class are not. Uh, I think we're a little afraid that it may be a tad small, like the Mazda 6s of yore, where they were great cars but weren't quite big enough. But having said that, it's it's a looks like a a lot better car than the previous 200. It's based on the same Alfa Romeo chassis as the Dart and the Cherokee, so it probably will handle well. It'll get the six, uh, uh, the Pentastar six, as well as the four. And so I think we're all kind of hopeful. It's um, didn't it's not a stunner, but it's pretty and it looks high tech and it looks like a good car. Any you know any small growth they get, I guess, will be a bonus. Yeah. Anything else from the show that uh, stuck you guys? 9-11 Target was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I like watching that top go up and down. Describe, <laughs> can you describe how the top operates? It's weird. It's, um, it's kind of got a glass hatch, kind of built-in glass hatch that tilts rearwards and away from the body as the, uh, I believe, something in the Targa it's a fabric, roll bar it's kind a, of it, flips out of the way. Yeah, something in the Targa bar flips up. Then this fabric panel, so they've gone back to a fabric panel instead of a glass like the, like the old ones. And that sort of goes underneath the target bar and stores itself. And then this whole massive rear body panel with the back glass comes back into place. It's moving artwork. <laughs> yeah, they, they did say that it's probably the only new convertible made in years that you can't put the top down while you're driving. You must be stopped. <laughs> Anything, Patrick? Um, this might be a wild card. The uh, Volvo Concept XC. Yeah, coupe, which was like a you know, it's a, a like a sporting brake, right? Uh, exactly. Wagon but type. Um, you know, I drove a, a V70 cross country in high school. Uh-huh. I'd like to see. Uh, I know Volvo's been showing off a lot of concepts at the past couple auto shows, or not even couple, a lot of recent auto shows. I'd like to see them come out with something. I mean, because they all look real stylish, real nice, and they're talking about a lot of uh, plug-in hybrids and stuff like that. I'd like to see them you know, actually come out with something finally. They say it may foretell the next XC90, right. and I, I'll tell you in person, it it's looks a like beautiful that. Yeah, if it looks vehicle. Like that, it's absolutely it, beautiful. Front end kind of reminds you a little bit of a P1800, but just a beautiful car. There was lots more there. Uh, new, smaller pickup trucks from GM, the uh, uh, GMC Canyon and Chevrolet Colorado, which looked quite different. And they're midsize. They're a little bit, they're about six inches shorter and six inches narrower than uh, Silverado Sierra. Um, I think that's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they measure up against the fuel economy of the new F-150. Hmm. Uh, there was a styling exercise from uh, Nissan that might be uh, something like the next Maxima. Let's see. There was a lot there. If you're interested, we have a full report uh, on the show coming up uh, uh, in on Motor Week. Also on our website already at motorweek.org, uh, you will find uh, photographs of a lot of the cars that were at the show. So why not check us out there and stay up with us as well on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, always on YouTube. But good show. I guess... 
guys. Let's move on to another to a car that we just had in our shop that I think you probably have a lot to say about, and this is the Chevrolet SS, their rear-drive performance sedan from Australia. A but Camaro SS? The Chevrolet <laughs> SS. Oh, just SS. What's okay. the difference? Just SS. What's the difference? <laughs> Brian, why don't you tell us what the difference is? <laughs> You're going to be really confused <laughs> yeah. at Advanced Auto when I you try to buy parts for Right, it. I want an yeah. SS. You Camaro SS now. A filter yeah. for an SS. But they are, they are based on the same chassis. Yeah, that's probably should have been the title of our road test. Great car, poor choice of names. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some question, I guess, on how long this sedan will be around because uh, it's built in Australia, but they're going to stop producing cars in Australia in a couple in 2017, I guess. So maybe it'll come here after that. I don't know. Ben, what about you? I had a great joy of driving it in Palm Springs. Um, <laughs> Impressive car. LS3 dropped in there, 415 horse, 415 pounds of torque, um, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of horsepower, really, in today's horsepower wars. But it's a pretty good use of power, and the transmission does a, a really good job. Uh, steering feels really good, even through those mountain roads. And balance is absolutely flawless, pretty much. Um, I would have liked to seen a little better seating in the car, honestly, because I was there at the same time um, Camaro Supersport was there and Corvette. And uh, even the Camaro seats were so much deeper hmm. bolstered, and uh, the the SS seats just kind of felt like a Malibu seat to me. And for a car that's dialed in as much as that car is, you kind of were bouncing around there like a lotto ball. There's just no support. <laughs> um, and the dash, yeah, the dash left me a little. It was a little too kind of textbook GM. It looked. Basically, it almost looked like a, a, similar to a Camaro. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. basically the same, similar car, the G8, and also it's basically the street version of the of the Chevrolet uh, Caprice police car. I would have liked to seen a little more specialness mm-hmm. inside, but um, you you wrote in your comments when you got back that mm-hmm. that it still wouldn't be your first choice in that class. It wouldn't be only because the the Charger SRT8 in my opinion, is such a nice car, such a well-thought-out car. Uh, when you look inside that car, those SRT bolstered seats are mm-hmm. so it, they're so incredibly deep and inviting. And it's, maybe a, it, it seems a, a lot more luxurious inside uh, and much prettier to look at from inside. And from the outside, it's, it's much more aggressive. I, I believe it was thought out a lot more. The, the uh, SS strikes me as, as a, a, a last-minute, a facelift on a car where they just threw some some Chevy-esque looking mm-hmm. shapes on the front and and that was it where it, it just doesn't seem as as well evolved it drove well charger. but it just didn't leave, you just didn't think it was as refined or well thought out i think that's fair refined might be a little harsh of a word yeah, i mean it didn't feel as refined but yeah i guess it evolved it just doesn't seem as evolved as a charger srt8 Maybe. Pat, I, I can't imagine you have much affinity for large rear-drive cars. Any comment? Not particularly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with the uh, uh, with what Ben was talking about. It just, I don't know if they're going for that whole sleeper look. It just doesn't strike you as, at first glance, something that either looks powerful or that you mm. really even want to hop in and mm. you know tool around town. 
Just remember, folks, when you see that uh, that big, aggressive uh, Chevy grill behind you, it'll probably have some uh, lights on top of it. So the SS, <laughs> the SS is pretty cool, but uh, I have a feeling most people will be seeing the other version of it in their rearview mirror. I wonder how many people are bummed that it's not a Pontiac. Because that Pontiac I, front treatment was pretty aggressive. I think <laughs> I am, because yeah. the G8, I thought the G8 was a dynamite-looking car. And, yeah, and it's similar to the GTO. It's all that same Camaro. It's, they're all in that same chassis. Mm-hmm. And they, they had the GTO finally, like, almost perfect mm-hmm. when they still, when Pontiac went out of business. So, yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't spend much time in the SS, but um, I'm glad that they're making it. I mean, the fact that Me they're too. back in the rear drive game. But, uh, yeah, they probably could have done a little better job with it. Here, here's something that – and we'll, get, we'll move on in a second – you know, a lot of manufacturers are losing the ability to build a really competent rear-wheel drive sedan. Um, a lot of the comments to the auto show were that Ford has basically completely lost that. And so it's good to see GM with this, and hopefully, with, you know, because of the Camaro and so forth, uh, they'll continue to develop it and end up with something that's uh, um, a chassis down the road that's even better and one that's worthy of, uh, of getting a lot of raves. Call it a Buick Grand National, yeah. make a real. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Version. Hmm. Okay, let's head on to our lightning round. And this, um, this is kind of a long thing that we're going to talk about, but it really comes to the core of a lot of what was happening at the auto show. Uh, one of the big new trends in, in car technology seems to be the connected car. You've got manufacturers like Audi and already offering cellular data and communications directly to the car. In other words, you don't need... Uh, a smartphone to pair it with. GM's heading in that direction with OnStar and other systems. So you just hop in the car, it connects to 4G, and away you go. Uh, there's going to be all kind of apps that can um, will be available that you don't have now. The apps will also be able to access engine and performance data, so it's a two-way street. Is this kind of car totally connected to data and the Internet a good thing? Is it going to enrich the driving experience, or is it just going to be more distraction? And I should point out, we're going to talk about this for two minutes, and then we're going to hear our bell. So what do you think, gentlemen? Yeah, it's un- it's an unfortunate reality that, you know, when you talk about being connected to the car um, – you're not talking about great driving enjoyment, or <laughs> no, uh, now, no. Now you're talking about how easily you get your phone linked up to it. But it's just the way it is. I mean, it's important. I mean, people send you a text or email, and you don't get back to them in five minutes. Now they're, they're wondering what's wrong with you. You know, is something wrong? Should they be worried or they get mad? So I mean, it's 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 reality, I guess. You don't have to like it. But. The one thing that I do like um, is what Audi does when you connect. They give you. Their navigation is Google Maps, so you mm-hmm. get like, or not Google Maps, Google Earth. So you get Google like an Earth, actual yeah. picture of like a satellite image of wherever you're driving, and that's pretty cool. But other than that, I mean, all this engine stuff, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot. It's all, sometimes it's a lot to take in, even now, and I can't imagine more stuff to look at. Yeah, I agree. Less is more. You know, one of the problems we have when testing cars is we get these cars in with all these new interfaces and stuff. And frankly, we spend so much time worrying about it or figuring it, trying to figure out how to run, work it that the, the essence of what the car is often gets lost. 
I can see the real-time weather and traffic being helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean if it's truly real-time, I mean, I've been in more than one Me too. GM vehicle where I've been sitting on the beltway for like 20 minutes, and then it'll come on and say, warning, traffic <laughs> ahead. Like, yeah. A little late on <laughs> yeah. the update there. I guess this is all leading down the road, of course, the self-driving car, because not only do you have to have the car that will avoid you know accidents and keep you in your lane, but it's got to know what's happening in the car in front of it. And this is how they're going to expect to hook all these cars together so we can seamlessly go around like the Jetsons, I guess. Yeah, and all this data is going to get stored on some supercomputer somewhere. I'm sure the NSA will have it. Yeah, everyone's going to know <laughs> that, where everyone's That's what you're worried about? Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be could be, uh, cars communicating with each other would be cool. I, and and that's, I think that's, that's what, definitely that's coming. The direction no longer have to use hand signals. Is yeah. that the deal? Exactly. Yeah. I'll be in trouble when I'm out there in my... <laughs> 30-year-old Miata. (laughs) (laughs) You'll you'll have to be in the slow lane. All right, thanks. Let's move now on to the uh, question. This is one. It's not from anyone in specific, although if you do have a question for us, send it in, and if we pick it to use on a podcast, you'll get a MotorWeek T-shirt, which I know is a rare commodity. This one is one we've gotten from a lot of folks, and many of us are still dealing with winter weather. weather. I know we certainly are here in the Mid-Atlantic. This comes up all the time. It's getting more difficult to describe it all the time. Let's give our panel here a crack at it. What in your mind is the difference between a vehicle that says it's got all-wheel drive and one that says it's got four-wheel drive? Or maybe another way to say what should be the difference, because right now it's pretty confusing. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, we go, we've been through this a hundred times. I, <laughs> I always go back to if it reverts to front-wheel drive, it's all-wheel drive. If it reverts to rear-wheel drive, then that's four-wheel drive, but uh, they're all blurry. Because now everything's automatic, virtually well, all of them. Yeah, not everything. Well, there's a few left, but most even even some of the rear-drive vehicles have an automatic setting that you can put them into. True. I always thought that if it had a, a two-speed transfer case, a high and a low range, that that makes it four-wheel drive over all-wheel drive, but... There's some of those, those now, like the Cherokees too. now got uh, yeah. you know an all a four wheel drive system, or I should say an all wheel drive system with a two wheel two speed transfer case. Hmm. So I guess the the answer from us, Pat Patrick's sitting over there slinking away like he doesn't want to answer. Uh, yeah, it's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I always just thought, you know it's like I thought all wheel drive was between axles, and then four wheel drive was more between axles and wheels. More complicated. And well, that's not totally true either. Yeah, anymore, there maybe. isn't any one definition for both anymore. Actually, who said front or rear drive? That's what I always go that's with. That's probably the closest. Yeah, I don't know. Because GM's got the rear biased all wheel drive automatic system. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. For most people, it probably doesn't matter. It really only matters if you've uh, if you happen to get an older system, or I should say, a really robust system like you find in pickup trucks, where you cannot leave it in four wheel drive when you're driving on dry pavement. Most of the automatic systems obviously take care of that. So we probably didn't clear this up for anyone. <laughs> Just remember, some manufacturers call four wheel drive all wheel drive. Some call all wheel drive four wheel drive. So get into the nitty gritty on your own on the internet, or try and get it out of the dealer, and make some decisions for yourself. You never on full size pickups. You never see AWD stickers. No, <laughs> that's that is true. Four by four. That is probably the one place that you can see that if it says four wheel drive, it's traditional four wheel drive. Yeah. 
What's the difference between symmetrical all-wheel drive and asymmetrical all-wheel drive? I have no idea. Okay. That's Subaru. Uh, question for Subaru. Subaru. Right, right. <laughs> you split it down the middle. It's the same on both sides. Gentlemen, thank you very much for our very lively Motor Week podcast. This was number 93. We were delighted to have you listening to us. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for making us come through loud and clear. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Our podcast producer sitting here at the table, Patrick Lucas. Oh. And he's also the guy with the bell today. Ta-da. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. Keep up with us, all our segments on YouTube, not to mention our shows on public television stations everywhere. And you can even catch us on, on the cable network Velocity uh, on Tuesday nights, among others. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening to our Motor Week podcast. Be careful out there. And thanks for being with us at MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.